Dear listeners, today is the first day of my new life. My last podcast was February 23rd of 2020. Then the world stopped with COVID. And as I had not yet learned about Zooming, I stopped going to the studio to produce my podcasts. Then my husband became ill, and I did not leave his side. I knew he was declining, but kept that secret to myself. Then, on the most beautiful Easter Sunday, April 4th, 2021, although he was weak, Ted talked and joked with family all around, then took all our breath away when he suddenly took his final breath. Ted Coppler, the love of my life for over 46 years, was gone. I was suddenly a widow. I was in a daze all week, while our five loving children held me, fed me, and took care of every detail for me. During the darkness of COVID, they gave their father a funeral so bright it was fit for the man he was, a husband and father whose love for his family was his life's priority. As a born producer, he was the maker of magic for all of us, and his funeral was magical also. Beneath a tent in Forest Park, our 13-year-old granddaughter, Caroline, approached the stage with the sweetest goodbye to her grandpa by singing in her pure young voice, Never Enough from The Greatest Showman. Lost in my own home, the next day my youngest son, Kevin, and I followed my daughter, Allison, and her young family to their home in Los Angeles. Here I began my grieving process, with tears gushing forth at the least appropriate times. They were all supporting me, so much so that I forgot that they were grieving too. Several months and three more visits to California later, I was still grieving deeply. Allison, who is co-founder of the Female Founder Collective, actually found the best support for me when she connected me to Carolyn Moore, the founder of the Modern Widows Club. She had a Zoom coachathon set up for me. And meeting Carolyn was the first glimmer of hope I had that someone finally understood the pain that I was going through and she could help me eventually heal. So this is why I chose Carolyn Moore, America's top widow advocate, to be my first guest as I resume my podcast. I think once you've gone through something that's so out of control and heartbreaking and painful, you, you come back a different person. The cracks in who you thought you were now allows light to shine through. That was Carolyn Moore, founder of Modern Widows Club, author, mentor, and advocate for widows around the world. I'm Nancy Scanlon Coppler, and welcome to Woman Overboard. Have you ever been told that you go overboard? Or maybe you have a friend, a partner, or a crazy aunt who overdoes it at the holidays. Someone who is overly ambitious, overly excited, and gets overwhelmed because she tends to overdo everything. Well, welcome to my world. I'm Nancy Scanlon Coppler, and this is Woman Overboard, a show about women, leaders, mothers, and entrepreneurs who are dedicated to making a difference. My guests would not be where they are today without being the overachievers that they are. Women who I believe put a positive spin on the words, woman overboard. My guest today is Carolyn Moore, an internationally recognized entrepreneur, speaker, mentor, author, and champion to widows everywhere. After losing her husband at a very early age and tasked with the responsibility of raising two young daughters, Carolyn was struck by the lack of information, resources, and support systems available to widows. Driven by her compassion for helping others, 
Carolyn founded Modern Widows Club, a nonprofit organization that provides community, friendships, research, advocacy, and educational resources to widows during their grieving process. Carolyn has earned numerous awards and accolades for her work in widow empowerment and has been seen on the Oprah Winfrey Show in 2006 and recently did a TED Talk in 2021. Welcome, Carolyn, to Woman Overboard. I'm so delighted to have you as my first guest as I resume my podcast because I feel I really went overboard as a person losing my life companion. When I cried to you when we first met, you were very patient and loving, and I expressed the pain I was feeling. You said the perfect words to me, and I I want you to tell we both have had losses. I'll, I'll talk more about that later. But I want you to share your personal story, if you would, about becoming a widow. Thank you so much, Nancy. You know, it's it's. I think this this um, Worcester journey, which is what we call our uh, widow sisters. We have a trademark name called Worcester. Uh, is is something very special. It's something I always hoped for when I became newly widowed. You know, at age 37, this was 23 years ago, I had no idea my life trajectory was going to um, meet amazing women like you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I was just living my life. You know, I was um, uh, married for 10 years. I had a two and four year old. I was uh, running an interior design firm with my architect husband and we were just out for Valentine's Day like any normal couple right and a hit and run driver uh, crashed into our car and in the process of that a we hit a light uh, pole and that light pole cracked and came down hit my husband's head and uh, missed me. So he died from severe head trauma and I became a first responder. Oh, I'm so sorry. Right. So at the tail end of this extremely beautiful evening of talking about our life's trajectory as a couple ended in trauma. So totally unexpected, totally sudden, and my whole life, I, in many ways, died in that moment. The person I was with him, the person I was in the world, my identity, who, who I believed myself to be, changed beyond my control. And in that uh, experience, it, I created this new Carolyn that became this extremely compassionate and empathetic and an active listener and someone who now understood deep grief and I eventually learned what deep growth was. And and that's really, you know, the beginning of my story, which includes really a widow struggling to find resources that then turned into becoming a widow mentor, that then naturally turned into becoming a widow leader. And now I'm an advocate, um, but I would have never known that that would have happened 23 years ago. <laughs> yeah. What an amazing story. And uh, you mentioned in your book, Inspire, Connect, Lead, Empowering Your Widow Mentoring and Leadership Gifts, which is a beautiful title, by the way, that you were right. looking for a mentor, an older widow to guide you. Did you find her at that time? And if so, how did she help you? 
she, you know, it took me about 10 years to find a person that really, um, I was looking for someone really a wise, like um, not even necessarily an elder, but a sage, you know, Mm -hmm. someone who was maybe 10 years further along than me. Right. And I needed to ask really difficult life uh, questions like dating again, like running a business. How do you manage grief and parenting small children? How do I set my daughters up for the life that I dream for them that I now realize trauma will be a part of their life? How, how do I set boundaries with my family? How, how do I have um, confident conversations with my financial advisor? You know, all of a sudden I'm managing what two people were doing in a very big life between two people. So I, I needed, I really just wanted someone to say, these are the steps that you need to take. But I just really, I needed a confidant. Mm-hmm. You know, I lost my best friend when right. I lost Brad. And I always talked to him about business and personal, and I didn't have that anymore. So that that mentor um, ended up becoming many different people, but one of the, the over the time, became s- such diverse people, <laughs> like a rabbi, you know, and a pastor, and a shaman, <laughs> and, you know, someone in Bo- who's a Buddhist, and, and it became this experience of seeking wisdom. Mm-hmm. How can I seek universal wisdom and apply that to my life and and look at it through the filter of the systems that exist that in many ways do not recognize me as a widow I'm not recognized in you know how to uh, talk to a a widow in the Mm -hmm. financial industry how to talk to me from places of worship I found myself having to create a world where I was understood and so I became extremely fascinated by this widowhood experience and coming up against society and why am I so misunderstood as a whole and how did you deal I want to get back to that subject later but how did you deal with your grief while also I found it very difficult just explaining death to my grandchildren how did you explain it the four-year-old obviously understood I don't know how the younger one was too two-year-old maybe not as much of a difficulty but the four-year-old where is daddy? How did you deal with that? You know, and, and I was fortunate because having had been a nurse in my 20s, I had taken child psychology. So I understood the sort of basic fundamentals of the under age seven importance, right? So at age four, she was in cognitive development. My two-year-old was in physical. She was potty, tra- you know, coming out of potty training. So she's, she really had no memories or 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 idea what was happening. My four-year-old would say things like, can we leave the window open so that daddy can come down and visit us? You know, but there were very real questions like, you know, well, would would daddy's clothes are here? Of course he's going to come back. You know, they can't conceptualize the permanence of the death uh, information. And that was really the... I had to go find a grief center for them, and I was really fortunate that we had a great one here in Orlando uh, called New Hope for Kids, and they helped my daughter have a language, and all I did was watch what they did, and then um, they told me that the topics would come up, 
and I would just as innocently as I could explain, yes, you know, there were horses where daddy was, you know, is now, which is where he's buried in Colorado. So it's, you never know how children right. are going to, it's going to pop up because it's a new experience right, for them. Right. It's a new experience for me. I know. Um, and so it's uncharted territory. It's very uncertain. There's just so much ambiguity. There's so much um, confusion that you just, the only way you can do it is just be so human right. with them. And right. and if you don't know the answers to the question, then you be honest about that. And it's like, let's find it together. Let's figure that out together. And And that's really what I ended up doing was try to find ways that we could do this together right and we would have this saying we'd hold hands and we'd say we're going to stick together and you know that's that and was cry sort of my together, goal right it's okay to cry together with your children yeah. correct yeah. because i would cry in front of my grandchildren and some of my children didn't like that and some of them accepted it it was kind of all, and one one time well, my little grandson said to me and he knew papa was gone and he he said, I hope you dream about Papa tonight. And then the next day I was on the phone. He said, are you calling Papa? It was so sweet. You just, because they don't quite comprehend it. What well, is, we don't. I mean, we our brain science, I mean, there were many times when I was in crowded people and I thought I saw Chad. You know, my, our, our oh, brains are. That happens to me all the time. Right, right. And so even our brains have a hard time conceptualizing that it's final. Right. Right. Yeah. So how long after your husband's death, after Chad's death, did the idea for Modern Widows Club come to you? <laughs> um, about 11 years. Um, I was so busy, of course, being a solo parent and and, and the head of household, only wage earner in my household. That was really my two main focuses. I really didn't have time to volunteer or start a nonprofit or do any kind of outreach. Well, I'm going to stop you for a second because we yeah. talked about this earlier. You said that you were a guest on the Oprah Winfrey show, which yes. created the Oprah effect. And I said, oh, you were famous. What is the Oprah effect? You, you said, no, it was a little different. And that's kind of what you're leading up to, I think, correct? Yeah, so the, well, the Oprah effect, that happened in 2006. And so I was on a TV show on TLC that led to the Oprah show seeing me, inviting me on. And I was on the show with the rabbi who was my mentor. And he, and that, when you leave Oprah, what happens is you come back um, to your hometown and everyone has seen you now on Oprah and everyone wants to be on Oprah. And so now every time you go out, everyone wants your Oprah contact. And so <laughs> you can walk into a room and every person is going to come after you because they want to know how do how do you get on Oprah? And I had my standard answer. You don't you don't get on Oprah finds you and you get on the show. <laughs> they don't you don't pitch the idea to her. They find you. So I said the goal is to be a person who is something worth finding. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And that's how it works. So go do something that is extraordinary that would be of interest to someone like Oprah and she will find you. <laughs> um, and so, the, but the Oprah effect also is they re-aired the show um, for four years. 
So I had no idea when it would re-air, and I was that woman who lost her husband on Valentine's Day. So there were many times when I was at SeaWorld or Ikea or out with my interior design clients looking at furniture, and literally people would come up and go, oh, you're that lady, you're that lady on Oprah that lost her husband on Valentine's Day, can I hug you? Oh my gosh, my friend, will you talk to them? And I just went, oh my gosh, I had four years of this being just taken back because I never knew when it was going to come, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it always caught me off guard. And as exciting as that could be for some people, <laughs> you were in the throes of trying to raise two little girls and make yes. ends meet, correct? So you couldn't yes, deal with it. Right, and, and then when strangers start showing up at your home because somehow they find your address, then it crosses the line. Right. And, right. and I'm here as the, the protector of my two young daughters, and it becomes unsettling right so that's what the Oprah effect is Um, yes a lot of people recognize you but I was in no position to be able to give people advice I was you know truly like you said um, in the throes in the the weeds of raising kids and running a business so in 2011 when Oprah went off the air that is when two of my interior design clients said you know we have these friends who are widows and honestly we're we're just at the end of our rope and we would really love to introduce them to you. Do you, Would you have any time to just meet with them? I really think they need a mentor. And that was the moment where I went, sure, I'll meet with two ladies. Mm-hmm. I, I can meet with two ladies. Right. You know, I, I, I said, I, I, can, I can definitely do that. And so every third Thursday, I said, let's get together every month. And then I learned the biggest universal law in widowhood, and that is widows no widows. <laughs> right, right. Isn't that the truth? That's the And 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 if anyone is newly widowed, they send them to the widow that they know. And so you become this widow antenna. And that's sort of how Mono Widows Club yeah. grew and became. Wow. And I you've you've hit on some of the challenges, but in all your years now of working with the Modern Widows Club, what do you see as the biggest challenges for widows? Beside the grief. Well, there's the challenges for widows and there's challenges for widows organizations, right? Right, And and, uh, I think think probably the biggest is public awareness of the, um, really what I would call the secondary losses. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really the primary loss is the person and the grief is attached to that loss uh, and it's appropriate response to losing someone that you love so close to you. Um, and then what comes after that is the tremendous amount of secondary losses in which need to be addressed, maybe not as the active response to acute needs, but short-term and long-term. And those short-term and long-term secondary losses are what, what I call send women on a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Um, it sends them into depression. It sends them into isolation. It sends them into you know, potentially any kind of financial insecurity. Maybe they lose their health insurance. Maybe that brain fog causes them to lose a job. They lose a job, they're going to lose a lot more than just that job. Mm-hmm. So the, the secondary losses is the area really that we work on. And we go into communities and advocate and raise awareness that this is happening. And to be quite honest with you, we plead for widows to be believed. And, and our whole organization is a platform where we believe these women. We do research. The research backs what they're saying. 
and then we ask for support. So, you know, Modern Widows Club exists truly because of the support, the financial support of widows themselves. So far, we have not found big foundations or grants or because they simply don't, grants do not exist for widows. They just do not exist. I, I have looked all over the world. <laughs> and, and let's uh, talk for a minute about a widow's financial status. You said that 50% mm-hmm. of all widows are, what, under the poverty limit? or they're, they're 50% of women are um, either near or in poverty. That is U.S. data. And how many widows are there in the United States? Our listeners need to know that number. Which There's is, about oh, 13 million. 13 million. And how and many about one, Yeah, 1 million wives become widows in the United States every year. Wow. That is incredible. And, so and it's, a, it's around 2,800 women a day. It's incredible. Yeah. And no one is, it's yeah. like nobody is talking about it. And I found that becoming a widow means losing friends. And... I, who had always been very social, was so often alone, and I felt invisible somehow. And I've heard other women say that. My girlfriend told me, oh, Nancy, you're just not being your cheery self like you always are, so that's why you seem invisible. But I think that's a normal feeling for all widows. And why is that? I have seen some people turn the other way when they see me, and I don't know if it's because they're afraid to say the wrong thing or they don't know what to say. What do you think it is? I, I think they are invisible. I think it's been okay to relegate women to be invisible. And I don't understand why it exists, but I'm here to say that it does exist. And I think that's the important point to make here is that I actually believe women when they say this because I felt it, you felt it, tens of thousands of other women that actually we survey have said it. So it is happening, right? And, and I think if anything, if we can help validate and affirm what is happening with widows, that is the first thing. First, we have to actually help widows really um, res- respect their own intuitive thinking, mm-hmm. right? Because you are going to hear friends say, oh, you think you're this. No, 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 no. You, the widow, is the subject matter expert, not the person looking into your life. Right. right. And, and that's the narrative that is not happening and say, no, it is happening. It is happening when I go to a place of worship and there is no widow's ministry and there's no widow's outreach. That is called being invisible. When, when, I'm, not on, when I'm not on the on a line of the budget for this place of worship, I'm invisible. That says, this is not important to you. Right. That's right. invisible. That, that's, in, that's what invisible looks like. When, 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 you, when there is no office on widowed persons at the Department of Health and Human Services in our government, that is invisible. So my job as an advocate is to validate what widows are saying and and it's not and helping people understand it is happening. And and if you will please believe these women, then we can do something about it. But we can't do anything about it until people start believing us. Like you mentioned uh, uh, political offices and I know you also can you share your experience with President Trump? And what you <laughs> tried to achieve there? Well, I mean, it wasn't directly with President Trump. It was through the department. It was through the Faith and Community Initiative. So my role is to, I want a national day of 
awareness for widows. You know, national uh, International Widows Day is June 23rd. In 2011, United Nations ratified that as an actual day to raise awareness for widows. All I want is the United States to create a national day for widows to coincide with that. And so what I did is I kind of went up through some ranks and I thought going through the faith and community initiative, which is the faith-based uh, community that was around the president, mm-hmm. would be the mm-hmm. best way to do that. Because there's no denying that biblical scriptures say that you should care for widows. So I thought this was going to be a super no-brainer. But the June 23rd was a problem. And June 23rd was related to United Nations, and they did not want to uh, collaborate or do anything that was related to the United Nations. And I said, well, that's fine. Then let's make the day June 25th. And they said, well, why that date? And I said, because that's the date Trump's mother became a widow. Oh, and I bet they were floored <laughs> that you knew that. Yes, they were. But they did not know that. And so it didn't pa- it didn't pass, you know, and this is why we're doing an international widows march this year in DC on June 23rd and I will be leading that in a partnership with the Global Fund for Widows. And we're just going to start having those conversations and we are going to find the people who care about widow advocacy and about about creating better policies for widows and just starting a conversation about how we can do a better job. Um, I had a very dear friend, speaking of how widows all understand each other, it was not a widow, but her mother was widowed and found great solace in a group here called Wife, Widow, Woman, sponsored by the uh, National Council of Jewish Women. And it really has been my salvation. Mm -hmm. There are six of us who have bonded together over grief and we've been a great support to each other because we do understand. In fact, my son asked me, Mom, what's the best thing about your group? And I didn't even have to think. I said, I can say anything I want in that room and everyone <laughs> understands me. I don't get yeah. this strange look like, Mom, get over it, or like right. <laughs> I sometimes get from my kids. Uh, what kind of community connection does your group have if a woman is grieving or has just lost her husband? How would they connect with you to be able to connect with other widows on a personal level? Well, I love I love that wife, widow, woman because that is actually the pathway, right? Seventy percent right. of married women will become widowed. This is not many times an if; it's a when. And so, if we can raise some awareness around that, but that's why I called my podcast "Healthy Widow, Healthy Woman." We want healthy widows to become healthy women, right, and live the the life um, that is possible for them. At Modern Widows Club, everything we do falls under this pathway called Hope, Heal, Grow, Lead. And we have this tool called the Widow Empowerment Quiz. And when you take that quiz and answer the series of questions that was created by an actual mental health therapist, you will fall into one of those categories, right? Maybe you're newly widowed and you're needing to find hope, but maybe you've been widowed for 10 years like I was and didn't have any resources and you're starting at hope. So wherever you fall, you get to plug in to resources for that particular area. And doing the quiz and plugging in is actually, there's two things happening when we allow women to make those choices for themselves. And that is um, resilience is being built and empowerment uh, is, is being built. 
And both of those two things create confidence. Because confidence is the number one thing that widows lose the moment they go from wife to widow. And, and we know this because we survey ladies. And when they come into our organization, we know that they're actually building confidence because they're, we believe them. We, we have programs where we've listened to them and we've actually cre- created programs based on our data. So they do feel like this is their tribe and they do feel like th- that they're being understood no matter they're at a community, at a local. We have about 40 communities locally around the country and in four in the U.S. and around the country. But we also have a lot of virtual communities like survivors of suicide, Spanish-speaking widows, um, and just a general virtual community that women from different time zones will come to. So we're constantly looking at virtual, in-person, but then we have our events, our Widow Empowerment event that's coming to St. Louis. September 22nd and 24th, and we have our baseball game where we're getting people together on July 28th with the Cardinals, which we're both a fan of. And you're getting to do something very exciting. Tell us what it is. (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully if we sell 500 tickets, I get to do this. Yes. (laughs) Throw out the the first pitch. Wow. Well, I'm hoping (laughs) I'm going to be there to watch you. Right. And getting back to your book, which I so admire the way you've written it, instead of saying helping widows through grief, the fact that you're empowering widows, inspire, connect, lead, empowering your widow mentoring and leadership gifts. It's really opened my eyes as I read it. Um, It's the first kind of book like this on widow empowerment. But the main thing I love is when you talk about the gift of listening, which is Mm -hmm. something that struck me um, during our the coachathon that I had with you. My wonderful daughter, um, Allison (coughs) Coppler-Wyatt, who is co-founder of the Um, uh, female founder collective connected me to you and I'm not sure how she did it but when she said mom I've got a zoom meeting for you with a woman that helps widows tonight I think I told you I came to the group and I got on and when I realized there were only six people I turned my video off and ran and put some makeup on and combed my hair and then came back and I thought well how did this woman who's nationally known have only six people in this little group how are you able to do that and then and then I want to tell you that you can. I just want to finish this. That I said to you, you well. First of all, you listened to me like no one else had, and I cried my heart out. You let me go for 10, 15 minutes, I think, and you said to me when Ted died, that half of me died with him. And when mm-hmm. I shared this with some of my friends, they were shocked, saying, "Oh, well, that's not true." And I said, "Well, yes, it is true. You don't understand what I'm feeling, but Carolyn does more than anyone else because she's been through this." So how have you learned this type of empathy and patience and listening? And could you briefly outline a few of those listening skills that we all need? Mm. I think um, I think it's activated. I think once you've gone through something that's so out of control and um, heartbreaking and painful, you, you come back a different person. You know, you the cracks in what who you thought you were now allows light to shine through. Right. And so, you know, active listening is we need more of in the world. It was what I sought the most of in my early widowhood. And I really thought about how would I want would have wanted to be treated in early widowhood. And I really started writing those things down. And so what I realized is that when someone loses someone they love, they're in bereavement 
which is everyone understands that word. But most of the people outside of the experience are in what's called believement. And believement is we know the person died, but the person who's going through bereavement has not fully accepted that that death is real to them. And so the act of listening is truly the just holding space with that person till they become that person of believement. And, and this is really not talked about a lot um, because it's a very tender um, process. This is a very slow process. Um, and it's a very, it's a patient, it's a process full of a lot of patience. Um, and, and people feel uncomfortable with it. And so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll teach people skills, like in my TEDx talk, how to place the palm of their hand on the back of their neck, which automatically causes a calm response. On the and other also, person's neck or on your own neck? On, on the other person's? Like you, you're sitting and holding space with someone and you're feeling uncomfortable, like you want them to be finished talking and speed up and be done because what you're hearing is difficult. Mm-hmm. So it is hard to sit there in someone's pain, but it's the it's what they need. They truly need someone to just sit there in the pain because conversations with widows are never going to be short and never should they be. They shouldn't be. They should never be rushed. But by placing that that palm on the back of your hand, you will be able to sit there and and let that work through through you and and really hear mm-hmm. and feel. Mm-hmm. Because it's really about feeling what they're saying. That's what's uncomfortable. Because your brain is going, oh my gosh, what if this happened to me? I, oh my gosh, this is, I don't want this to happen to me. And this happened to her. And this, you know, you're, they start getting uh, sort of cognitive <laughs> confusion. Right, right. So, so the person listening has to actually learn how to be physically, mentally, and really spiritually connected as they're listening. So the spirit part is being extremely uh, present. The mental part is tracking what it is that they're saying. And the physical is you have, to, you have to breathe. You have to take deep breaths while you're listening to someone and putting your palm um, on the back of your neck are two things that they don't even know you're doing, but it allows you to be a better active listener. Yeah. Well, you have certainly achieved that. And you, you, how often do you do these coachathons, and how do you keep them so small so that each person has time to share? I like them being small. I'm I'm best in the small environment. Um, and you'll you'll see me, you know, uh, on stage on big stages, and I I prepare mentally to be as personable on stage. But I we I believe that people show up exactly when they're supposed to and I show up exactly who I am (laughs) and and that combination is I think the mystery of life you know I if six people show up it was supposed to be those six people with me and 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 as you experience the questions are are deep these are not easy questions and it does require someone who has had decades of listening to widows to be able to actually answer them, and so uh, I, I'm I'm not I'm fine I'm fine that six people. But even if there were a um, hundred people on there, a lot of the questions would be similar, mm-hmm. and so you would benefit by listening to the struggles of someone right. else. And we do those coachathons um, four times a year. We do them usually one every quarter. Mm-hmm. 
And how often do you do your conferences, like the one you're having in St. Louis? And what are the dates again in St. Louis? September 22nd through the 24th is the Widow Empowerment event at the uh, the ballpark, the Hilton ballpark, that over, overlooks the stadium, of yes. course. All I can say is it's life-changing. And, and how, <laughs> how may women sign up for it? How can they reach out we'll to you? We'll have about up? 350 women. But how may they sign up if women would still like to sign up, or is it full? No, 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 it's not full. We think it'll be, we think it'll get full immediately after the Cardinals game when we talk about Modern Widows Club in front of 40,000 spectators. Right. <laughs> But if someone does want to approach you right now, can they do they go through your email or your website? Absolutely. All you have to do is go to modernwidowsclub.org and look under events and there are all the registration links are there. Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. Um, what do you have next? What do you have in mind? Anything new coming up for Modern Widows mm -hmm. Club that we should know about? Yes. Well, with the march, of course, in D.C., this is a very fur. This is historic. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. But in correlation with that um, is our our new book that's about to come out called Legendary Widows: Stories of Legacy. And that is 12 extraordinary women's stories. Some of them you will know them and some you won't. But I share, uh, we had our book club. We have a book club at Modern Widows Club. And we had, we engaged the book club members to, to create these bios. So it gave them great purpose and meaning. And then I wrote a section called More Thoughts. And I, I talk love that. about. I saw that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I write a piece that um, is a pairing with that that talks about why I chose this person and the light in, that they've brought into my life that, that I have been able to then turn around and radiate out into other people's lives. And so we, we really had a great response. I mean, Helen Chavez, his family, uh, the Chavez Foundation, um, they have been. Like overwhelmingly excited that we're featuring their mother because she lived in the shadow of Cesar Chavez's work, but she was right there with him. Oh. And she did extraordinary things when her husband passed away and she held the line and she raised, you know, all of their children, the eight children, and, and she really never got any recognition for it. And so you know, that's just one of the one of right. the twelve women. Um, so, and, how does one join I, your book club? I love book clubs. <laughs> Any yeah. room for me in the book club? <laughs> sure, of course. I mean, anyone can join. Anyone the other the join. other thing I want to mention is that you do private coaching. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm sure there are people that could benefit from that. As well, well, that's really my flagship program. That's for uh, that's called Pivot. It's a six month mentoring program and I do that every six months and so this session I'm in now will end in June and then we'll start again July through December and we only allow 15 people to be in that mentoring program with me and I truly am just all access to these 15 women for six months and it is truly uh, we go through the pillars of healthy widowhood each month we go through a different pillar and then we do uh, fun and creativity and purpose and meaning in the last month and they graduate and I have a I have a, a form that they fill out before they start and then I read that to them at the end 
and they don't even recognize themselves wow. six months later. <laughs> and I think I saw that you did that when I first got on, but I was in such a fog, yeah. I did not yeah. do it. And I'm so sorry I didn't because I've come out of these two years of darkness with that urge, yeah. as you talked about in your book, of wanting to move forward now to do mm -hmm. something meaningful in my life. So I right. may still join your mentorship program and, and see. You should, you, you should sign through. up for July because it's, it's I, lo I love it. We have alumni now. You know, because I've been doing this now for three years, and um, and but then again, small group. You know, I mm -hmm. found that fifteen women is the perfect size for me mm -hmm. to really uh, have a very diverse group of women. Um, we meet three times a month um, for ninety-minute calls, and you get we do exercises together, and you learn a whole lot. There's a lot of really raw, vulnerable sharing mm -hmm. in that mentoring, and it is my favorite thing to do. <laughs> it's the reason why I started, right? It's like getting back to the mentoring and um, of really reducing the suffering for women in widowhood. That is, I always come back to that. How can we reduce the suffering? Because suffering is optional. Grief is the appropriate response, but suffering beyond that is optional. Mm -hmm. And we can do something about that. And so we are. <laughs> Carolyn, I thank you so much. I, I, I want to wrap things up now. I don't know if there's anything else you <laughs> want to add, but I just want to say I, I can't imagine how such a young woman and young mother like you had the courage and the fortitude and mm -hmm. the energy while you're raising two children and 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 putting food on the table to do all that you've done for for now you're like the mother of 13 million widows in the United States and I cannot thank you enough I I hope to talk to you again soon I hope to take your mentoring course and again um, the best way for people to get in touch with you is really modernwidowsclub.org um, and we're also um, on Substack app if anyone has goes over and finds us um, I have a whole uh, opinion column over there under Widow Life. So if you go to Substack um, and look for Widow Life, there's really all of our newsletters, blogs, podcasts. My opinion column is all there in one place. <laughs> and I just want to say how generous you are with your time because when I was trying to reach you to schedule the podcast and couldn't get a hold of you right away, I noticed at the bottom it said schedule a 15-minute time slot with Caroline, Carolyn. And I was able to get yep. one that afternoon. And I was, <laughs> I was so thrilled. And there are others that can connect with you, and that is very generous of you because I can only imagine how busy you are. So thank you thank so you. much for your time. I hope to see you at the ballpark this summer, July 28th. Oh, yeah, we're doing that. Yes, we are. Yes, <laughs> and at the um, conference in September. Yes, thank you yeah, so much for all the help you've given me and all the widows in the United States. Good luck You're to you. You're welcome. You're worth it. I'm so thankful for the time I spent with Carolyn Moore today. And if you would like more information about Modern Widows Club, or if you or anyone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please visit our website, womanoverboard.com. I'm Nancy Scanlon-Coppler, and thank you for listening.